0: Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, grant us wisdom and understanding as we read your word, and that your Holy Spirit be at work, opening our ears to hear and our hearts to receive your message. In Jesus' name, amen. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. This is
1: the word of the Lord. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A wonderful sunshine outside. Praise the Lord for another good new day, though we are in lockdown. Let's start. James is beginning a new section at chapter 4, verse 13. But the connecting theme through chapters 4 and 5 is pride. In the beginning of chapter 4, James is highlighting how being prideful is the opposite of submitting to God. And this pride is our hearts can come up out of nowhere. And so James is giving a few particular areas where our pride can rear its ugly head. Last week, we looked at gossip, and how ultimately gossip and condemning each other try to take the place of God, who is the one true lawgiver and judge. In the passage we have just read today, James is confronting an arrogant pride in one's achievements and possessions that he had observed among the churches. James covers how easy it is to think we are in full control of our lives, having no need for any help from God. The word for it is self-sufficiency, the ability to supply one's own needs without external assistance. In chapter 4, verses 13 to 17, it talks about how some people trust in their own arrogance and make their own plans without taking into account their own mortality and God's sovereignty. And in chapter 5, verses 1 to 6, James speaks about those who trust in their riches instead of in God. Not only do they trust in their riches arrogantly, but they also have obtained their riches at the expense Of others. Let's start unpacking this morning passage. Verse 30. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Here, James is addressing a group of Christians who have misplaced trust. They are placing trust in themselves rather than in God. These are those who have had financial successes in the past and believe they know exactly how to do it again. They are arrogant in making their plans. Planning the future is not a problem. So, what is the problem here? Well, fundamentally, it is a problem of presumption. It is a brazen and arrogant way we may plan our days as though we are in charge of everything. James warns them, "How can you be so presumptuous? You boast of your plans for tomorrow, all this coming week." or this summer, or next year, and why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. James is again reminding us that we are not God. He has just told us earlier in this chapter that we should not judge because we are not God. Now, James tells us that we cannot really control the future because we are not God. Some of you are probably thinking, sure, I know I'm not God. Yet while we don't usually claim that we are God, we often act like we are God. We act like we know everything. Like we can control all things. Like we can control what will happen tomorrow. Verse 14 tells us that you are not going to live forever. Your life is characterized by frailty. Your life is a mist. Mist or vapor. Like the steam rising from our coffee. When you hold up a cup of coffee and look at the rising steam, you can't really capture sin. You can't reach out with your hand and contain it and hold it there and say, I got it all right here. The property of steam seems to just come and go and then come again and go. It's here, and then is has gone. James says, your life is like that. How foolish that we should speak so presumptuously when our lives are so fragile, so frail. And verse 14 also indicates that the reality, gravity of our life, we appear for a little while. And then vanishes. This doesn't mean we are to live dejected lives and consign ourselves to the fatalisms of a meaningless existence. That is not what James is after here. Quite the contrary. Created in God's image, we have meaning and purpose and we are to live our lives for God's glory. James is warning us against an arrogant presumption, boasting in self-confidence that we are going to do this and such and we are going to do as we please and so on. James says, you need to put these things in perspective. We are not as only competent as you may think, you your life is a mist. Wise up, live for God. Plans are good as long as we include the Lord in those plans. Verse 15: James says, Is that you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, We will leave and do this or that. This means we are not sovereign. The problem was not that these businessmen were making plans for the future, nor was it a problem that they were engaging in business to make a profit. The problem that James hits was they were planning as if they were sovereign. And they were not bounding before the only sovereign God. They were arrogantly making plans for their future financial security. But their plans did not include God. Their trust was not in God, but in their business ventures and in all the money that they supposed they would make. They were assuming that they were in control of the future and that everything would go according to their plans. Instead, they needed to acknowledge if it is the Lord's will, we will leave and do this or that. James is not giving a trap formula that we need to tag onto every sentence. So, James is giving us a mindset that needs to permit all of life. We need continually to be aware of our finiteness and dependence on God and His sovereign purpose in every aspect of life. Sometimes we would say, if it is Lord's will, but even If we don't say it, we should think it. As mentioned before, one of the most basic and helpful lessons in life to learn is God is God. I am not God. He is sovereign. I am not sovereign. He controls the future. I do not in any way control the future. Note also that James assumes that you should acknowledge God as the sovereign over your business life. The idea that ch- the church is one sphere, but business is in different spheres altogether is not political. Jesus is Lord of all of life, from the boardroom to the bedroom. ethics should reflect that you are not in charge of your business. Christ is in charge. You must conduct your business dealings in a manner that pleases and glorifies Him. James concludes this chapter by Again, pointing us to humility and obedience. Verses 16 and 17. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. James is contrasting the behavior that he had just recommended with what is actually happening with his readers. Instead of doing what the Lord's wills, the businessmen are boasting in their own arrogant plans. Instead of submitting to the Lord, they are trusting in themselves. That's the heart of the problem. Arrogance. When we depend on ourselves rather than on God, we display the ultimate arrogance. These people were not only depending on themselves, they were boasting in themselves. Look at how much money I have made. Look at my accomplishments. Check out my house. Look at my perfect kids. Look at what my plans have accomplished. Look at the amount I have contributed to church. James says, all such boasting is evil. James describes disobedience in verse 17. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, It is sin for them. This thought isn't new, but James is reminding us through repetition. If we know the good that we ought to do and we don't do it, we are in sin. It is sin to know the good and yet not do it. Now, now let's move on to chapter 5 verses 1 to 6. In chapter 5 verse, verses 1 to 6, it is very likely that James is still addressing Christian when he is writing this section. It fits within James's letter to speak very strongly against Christian not living like Christians. There is also parallel language between the former section, chapter 4, verses 13 to 17, and this section, chapter 5, verses 1 to 6. Chapter 4, verse 13. Now listen. You who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. He's talking to Christian it would seem to make sense that he would also be talking to Christian in verse 1 of chapter 5, which says, now listen, you rich people, and there's a call to repentance, weep and will. Now let's unpack chapter 5 verse 1, verses 1 to 6. Look at verse 1. Now listen. You rich people weep and will because of the misery that is coming on you. These people are taking comfort in what they have now, and they are finding false comfort and false satisfaction through the greedy consolidations of riches, not realizing that one day they will be facing misery beyond what, any of us can imagine. The sinful pursuit of riches for self-dependency and self-pleasure will fail us all. Instead, we ought to turn to God in humility. This has been James' message all along. Remember, in chapter 4, verses 8 to 9, when James says, Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and weary. Change your laughter to mourning, and your joy to gloom. We should mourn over sin, over our sin, and any sinful inclination we have in us. We should instead seek humility, And God's ways for us. James is telling his reader, listen, misery is coming upon you because you have sinfully sought your own pleasure and have rejected God's way. Verses 2 and 3. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. The corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Holding and being obsessed with building our wealth and possessions make no sense in the light of eternity. Why? Because these things just don't last they are temporary. James says that all that we have will fade away. And is fading away even now. Everything that we accumulate for ourselves is wasting away and will waste away. James says that even our gold and silver will one day waste away. He says that the very fact that these things Our wasting away is a weakness against those who have trusted in material possessions. Holding wealth for the sake of holding wealth and not to use it for God's glory reveals that our hearts may belong to something other than God. And it reveals that maybe we don't truly recognize the temporary nature of earthly riches. Our hearts, our desires, our ambitions can be corrupted so easily by the contemporary, uh, by the temporary, but seemingly very tangible nature of stuff. If we treasure all this more than we treasure Christ, then we do not truly know Christ as He is. We don't recognize his finite infinite value and worth, which is why James chapter five verse three says that these earthly treasures will be evidence against us. He will reveal what has truly captivated our hearts, and therefore, in a sense, will be the very things that eat our flesh like fire in the judgment. The truth is, holding wealth contradicts staff's temporary nature. In verse 4, James was denouncing wealth landowners that were cheating their laborers out of their hard-earned wages. Cheating laborers' wages was a common problem and was mentioned several times in the Bible. Leviticus chapter 19 verse 13 states, You shall not oppress your neighbor, nor rob him. The wages of a hired man are not to remain with you all night until morning. In in that economy, day laborers often got by on that day's pay. To withhold it on some false pretenses would literally mean robbing the worker and his family of their daily bread. May we never be among those that contribute to this sort of injustice because God hears the cry of these laborers who have suffered injustice. He knows who contributed to their distress and he's not pleased. Verse 5, you have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. This is the most shocking statement of them all. As James said said in verse 1, misery is coming from the greedy rich person. Here he rebukes the greedy rich people who have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence They have fattened themselves. In reality, however, what they are doing is fattening up themselves to receive the judgment of God. James refers to this as a day of slaughter. What a terrible image. As Just as animals are fattened up for slaughter, so that they will be better meal or a better sacrifice. So also James Hughes says, the greed are fattening of themselves to be more ready for the judgment of God. God will judge them. And the more they indulge in their greed, the more appropriate this judgment is upon them. Finally, James lays out two more charges against these people. He says that they have condemned and murdered the innocent one. These innocent ones who demonstrated no reason for their mistreatment. As we learned earlier, many of these laborers of the fields of the rich probably depended on very last penny that they received. They were probably un- underpaid, and they were probably easily skipped over. As a result of this lack of payment, or perhaps some other form of harsh treatment, some of them apparently died. James says to the greedy, rich people, you are responsible for their death, and God sees it. You see, greed is self-deceiving. Greed will make us think that everything is okay, that we are secure, and that our happiness can be obtained by gaining more and more material possessions. However, James says that our greed leads to injustice and sometimes even murder. Not only that, but God sees that he will judge us for that. Now that we have studied the passage and the danger of planning without God, we need to ask the question, how then should we plan and not leave God out of it? How do we include God in our plans? Here are the important guidelines. First, plan prayerfully, asking God for guidance. Consult God first in every decision you make. If you run a business, you should regard God as being the owner of your company while you are his chief executive officer. You are a steward of God's resources, not your own. Therefore, you must be careful to ensure you consult him as you plan your use of his resources. Second, plan without making any boastful assumptions. Never, never assume that things must turn out exactly the way as you planned it. Always make allowances for unforeseen circumstances. Do not take unnecessary risks hoping and assuming that things will always go well in your favor. Please be wise and realistic in your planning. Third, do not include anything ungodly or unethical in your plans. If someone presents you with a proposal that is guaranteed to succeed and make big gains, but it involves doing something illegal or unethical, please do not agree to it. Your plans will not receive God's blessing at all if if they include any schemes that involve sinful practices which he hates. Fourth, plan with eternity's values in view. It is well known that long-term plans are better than short-term plans. So this means that the best plans are those that take eternity's value in view. It will be very short-sighted, planning just to attain glory and success in this world and nothing more. So be sure that your plans look far beyond your life in this world. Finally, submit your plans to God and allow him to make changes to your plans. God may order our circumstances in such a way that they force us to take a different path from what we had planned to take. And if that happens, we must be ready to accept it. It would be wrong for us to feel disappointed if God does change our plans. We should just accept it and say, Oh Lord, thy will be done. Thy ways are higher than my ways. So these are five guidelines you should apply in your planning, and they are be applied to anything that you may plans for by your career, your children, your earthly assets, and also your service to God. It is my prayer that you will always apply these five guidelines. Let's cultivate a habit of humbly submitting all of our plans to our Sovereign Lord. Let's do as it says in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 to 6. And remember, the promise that is made to us in it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct paths. Amen. And may the Lord bless you.